forget Jonathan's uh, new CD is uh, available. You're going to be at there at the end signing it if people want to? Brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. Wonderful. It's good to see you here at the five o'clock teaching service. And uh, we are looking at the topic of the providence of God. And next week is an exceptional Sunday because R.T. Kendall will be ministering at the five o'clock teaching service and the seven o'clock Holy Spirit ministry service next Sunday. Uh, many of you know that uh, he is on the ministry team of Kensington Temple um, for a six-month period, and as well as teaching at the Bible school, uh, he also does a morning and an evening uh, with us during each month. So it's wonderful to have him. And I've been recommending his book on the providence of God, which is really the story of Joseph called God Meant It for Good. You know, when it was all done and dusted and Joseph met with his brothers and Joseph said, you know, let me sum up my story. You meant it for evil. But what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And the reason, the reason I've been recommending this book is not only that if I had to have a top 10 books, Christian books of all times, this would definitely be in it. But also, as we've been looking at what the providence of God is from a teaching perspective, this book is excellent because it shows you the providence of God by looking at the story of one man, Joseph. And you see the providence of God working mightily there. We've sold about 55 of these over the last couple of weeks, so I'm excited about that because this really will bless you. And it's um, only priced £6.99, so I encourage you. I've got this book for my, my young son. Well, he's 17 years old, but um, this is his next devotional, so that's what, what's happening there. Anyway, we're going to be looking today on, there's a, there's a little bit of echoing. You got on it? Yeah. We're going to be looking today at the providence of God in our lives, the providence of God in our lives. Now, when we turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 28, we read this, which is probably one of the most powerful scriptures that describes what the providence of God is for, for believers. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. In that passage, we, we see that God is a God of purpose. Things don't happen by accident. In fact, nothing happens by accident. God is a God of purpose. And his purpose for his children, for those that love him, everything that takes place in our life, whether it's good, indifferent, or bad, is all ultimately part of God's plan for us and it's for our good. And this is where we speak about the doctrine called providence. Now, I'm, I'm not assuming that all of you have been in the last two sessions, so this word providence might be new to you today. And the providence of God, the best way to remember what the providence of God means is this, providence. In that word is the word provide. And as long as you remember the word provide... In the word providence, you won't go far, far wrong from understanding what this teaching is. This teaching comes from the Bible, and it's concerned with God's activity and actions in the world. Three things, really, sum up the providence of God. God's care for his creation, and specifically uh, people. 
God's care, God's preserving and sustaining of this world and our lives, and then thirdly, his governing and his guiding. So we have his care, and at the 2.30 service uh, this month, we're focusing on the providence of God in the series called God Cares for You. That's the providence of God, so his care, but also his sustaining and preserving. We've spoken about this, about how God, when he created the universe, it wasn't like a watchmaker who created his watch and wound it up and placed it there and then stepped back. The idea that God has created his creation and now he's stepping back and he's just observing what's happening and occasionally he'll fiddle with it or occasionally he'll step in and do something is not the teaching of the Bible. We looked at that last week and the week before. God is intimately involved in every aspect of his creation all the time, every second. We know in Hebrews chapter 1, it says that God is upholding all things by the power of his word. And that word uphold in the Greek means to bear continually, to carry. So that means that if God, far from God creating the world like a watch, winding it up and stepping away, if God should withdraw from creation for one moment, it would immediately disintegrate into nothing. God is upholding every breath you take. You take by the permission, active permission of God. Everything that is going on is being sustained. Even the evil and the blasphemer, their lives are sustained moment by moment, second by second. God is actively upholding and sustaining and preserving all things and all all people. So his care, his sustaining, his preserving, but also his governing and his guiding. We're looking specifically at that today in regard to our own personal lives. Nothing happens by accident. God is in control of absolutely everything. He's not the author of evil, but he can even use evil for his ultimate good. Remember the story of Joseph You meant it for evil, and his brothers did mean it for evil, and they were evil in what they did to sell him as a slave. It was evil, and God called it evil, and Joseph called it evil, but somehow, it's incredible how God could take the evil and in the end bring good. Of course, the uh, classic scripture of this um, can be found in the book of Acts, let me find it. Where have I put it? In Acts chapter 3, I mentioned this last week. I'll mention it again because I'm still setting the scene. Sorry, Acts chapter 2. Verse 23. Day of Pentecost. Peter preaching. Speaking about the crucifixion of Jesus... He, said, he basically is saying, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Acts chapter 2, verse 23. Jesus, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. So straight away we see that Christ's crucifixion was God's determined, purposeful plan. Indeed, we know that Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the universe, before God created his first star, before he created anything. His plan and purpose was that his son would die. It was God's work. But if we read on, 
Jesus being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up. So in this passage, we see two things, and this is the providence of God at work. We see the actions of human beings, and those actions are real actions. God holds them accountable. He says, you have taken by lawless hands, by evil deeds, with evil in your heart, you took Jesus and you crucified him, and you're to blame. Jesus had to say, Father, forgive them. They were to blame. Yet at the same time, behind the scenes, God was ensuring that his purposes were taking place. Proverbs 16, verse 4. The Lord has made all for himself, yes, even the wicked for the day of destruction. Proverbs 16, 4. Proverbs 16, 9. A man's heart plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. You see, there is the human aspect. Human beings planning and acting and deciding, but in the end, the Lord is in control. Proverbs 16, verse 33. Proverbs 16, verse 33. The lot is cast in the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. The lot is cast in the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Or if I put it in a more modern way, um, the, the, uh, the dice is cast, but it's every number that comes up is from the Lord. You know, there's no such thing as a concept of chance in the New Testament or in the Bible, indeed. The, Jew, the Jews never, never thought things happened by chance. Happened by chance from our perspective. It's like we spoke about the lottery. We have no idea what the next lottery numbers are going to be. Well, if you do, maybe you should uh, share it out of it. <laughs> but we could have a pool. We have no idea what the next lottery numbers, numbers are, but guess what? Guess who does? God knows. This is what this verse, God knows the exact numbers. He knows. It might be a total surprise to us, and it will be, but it's not to God. The lot is cast in the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Proverbs 21, verse 1. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. Again, kings and rulers make real decisions, and, and God uh, has an opinion on their decisions for good or evil, but in the end, God's providence, in the end, what they do will be part of his plan. Remember Cyrus? We looked at Cyrus when we looked at the providence of God in history last week, and we saw that God chose Cyrus, God raised Cyrus up, God gave Cyrus victory against all his enemies. All this came from God, and Cyrus didn't even know who he was. So Cyrus was doing all these things and he had no idea who was giving him the victory, who was guiding him. And God was doing all of this in an unbeliever's life so that his end purpose, the, the, the deliverance of Israel from captivity would take place. So the providence of God upholds the fact that human beings make decisions, real decisions, not pretend decisions. We're not robots. We are responsible for our actions before God. The Bible makes that plain. Yet God is so powerful, so marvelous, I mean, he's God, that even good things and bad things, he can work to his uh, goals and purposes. 
The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, like the rivers of water. God turns it wherever he wishes. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. So there in Proverbs 21, verse 1 and 2, you have the providence of God. Nothing happens by accident. God is working all things towards his plan. Yet at the same time, the next verse 2 says, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs it. He, 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 is, he, he is looking to see at the decisions that we make. We, we, we make. Daniel chapter 4, verse 34, the book of Daniel. And at the end of time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honoured him who lives forever. For his dominion is everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth, of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? God does whatever he likes. Remember I introduced in the first session of this series the concept the sovereignty of God, which is very close to the providence of God. The providence of God is more about God's active care, sustaining, guiding, and ruling. But the sovereignty of God especially focuses in on God's ruling and kingship, sovereignty, sovereign. And the sovereignty of God, the best way of remembering the sovereignty of God or the way that I remember is this. What does the sovereignty of God mean? It means this, that God can do what he likes, when he likes, where he likes, with whom he likes, and there's nothing that, that anybody else can do about that. God is king of all things. And I'm going to be showing this uh, in the next part of this. So we've already said Romans 8.28, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. So let's, let's have a look at um, I, I've given you sort of like the doctrine of the providence of God. Let's have a look at some of these examples apart from Joseph, which I've already mentioned. Well, one of the greatest examples of the providence of God, his providing, his sustaining, but also his guiding, is the book of Job. And if we go to the, to the book of Job, we see elements of God's providence at the beginning and also at the end. And Job... Although this is one of the oldest books in the Old Testament, Job had an understanding of the providence of God. You see, anybody can applaud the providence of God when everything's going well. We can say, isn't this wonderful? Thank you, Lord. Lord's at work. But what about when things go badly or difficultly? Is God as much at work in the difficult times as he's in the easy times? Is God as much at work when the blessing's flowing as when the blessing isn't flowing? The providence of God teaches that he is. So we look, you know the story of Job and and how he was blameless, walking with God, and then Satan wanted to test that. The Lord said to Satan in Job chapter 1, verse 8, Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and shuns evil. 
So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? You have made a hedge around him and his household and around all that he has on every side. You have blessed the work of his hands and possessions and have increased his land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And then, if we continue to read, you'll find that, that all of a sudden, a series of dramatic events take place in Job's life. Disasters take place. One after the other comes into his life. And um, in verse 20, and you can read that for yourself, but in verse 20, having all these Terrible, disastrous things taking place, one after the other. It says, Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head, and fell to the ground and worshipped. Now, now, there's an incredible act of faith. I mean, if you don't know what happened, just quickly fill in the, the gaps by reading. When all these terrible things happened, Job worshipped. He didn't just worship God when all the good things took place, all the blessings that had come from God, when, when all these difficulties came, the first thing he did was he worshipped, fell to God and worshipped, said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. That's very important because some hyper-faith teachers, they say, oh, well, uh, it was Job's sin that brought all these disasters onto him. He, he let his faith shield down. He said, the thing I feared has come upon me. And as soon as he said that, he let his faith shield down. And all these disasters came into him. Uh, because they can't cope. These hyper-faith teachers, I'm a faith teacher, but the extreme hyper-faith teachers, they can't cope with suffering. They can't cope with the difficulties of life. And so normally what they will do, hyperfaith teachers, is that they'll say, oh, something bad's happened to you? Well, it must be your fault. You must have prayed wrong, believed wrong, let your shield down. Uh, because they, can't, they, they don't have any room for suffering or difficulties or problems or trials in their theology. But we see here that Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. Now, we see that God didn't do these things. Who did these things? Satan. The story says, God didn't do these things. A wicked, the most wicked creature of all, Satan, did these things. And Satan meant it for evil. But we know that God drew a line, didn't he? He said, this much I'll allow you to do. Did God do these things actively? No. According to this story, it's Satan's fault. But did God allow these things to happen? Yes. Now, sometimes when difficulties happen, problems happen, disasters happen, uh, people blame God and say, God did this. Well, that's not really accurate. Far accurate to say, well, God allowed it. Well, of course he allowed it. It happened. Of course he allowed it. It happened. So when these things happen, they have allowed it. But even saying that God allowed these things to happen, sometimes people can't cope with it and say, well, if he allowed these things to happen, he's to blame. Well, the Bible says that although God has allowed evil things to happen, he's never, ever, according to the Scriptures, to be blamed for those things. 
It's the people that did them that are to be blamed. It's the devil to be blamed. It's this fallen, broken world that we as human beings broke and caused to fall in Adam to be blamed. God is not to be blamed because he allowed evil or wickedness or the fall or Adam and Eve to rebel. God is not ever in Scripture blamed for allowing that to happen, and, and neither should we do that, especially when we don't yet know the end from the beginning of these things. And then in Job chapter 2, the devil hasn't had enough. The devil wants more. And he says, skin for skin in chapter 2, verse 4. Yeah, every, this is fine, but you touch his body and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, he's in your hand, but spare his life. You see, God allowed it, but he also drew a ring fence and said, there's a line you can't cross, Satan. God is still ultimately in control, isn't he? And so Satan goes from the presence of the Lord and Satan strikes Job with painful boils and a terrible situation. And then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Verse 9, curse God and die. And he said to her, she didn't understand the providence of God like Job. And he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God? Shall we not also accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Now, then the rest of the Job is a big discussion. And his friends are basically saying, you must have done something wrong, Job. You, you must have let your guard down. Some, you know, th these things must be because of, be, because of your sin. And that wasn't the case. Sometimes when bad things happen to people, even good people and Christians, sometimes they think or we think, what have I done to deserve this? Nothing. Nothing. Don't blame yourself. That's what Job's friends were saying. There's, there's some reason that you experienced this. And then, you know, because we're not doing a full study of Job, when we go to the end, Job chapter 42. And Job is asking God, what is going on? Because in the book of Job, at the beginning, Job did not know what was going on. He wasn't in that meet, those two meetings between the Lord and Satan. He wasn't there. He wasn't aware of that at the time. He was just being buffeted by these difficult scenarios. He, he, he didn't understand it. He couldn't comprehend it. He certainly didn't see in his human perspective any purpose in what, what was going on. He didn't know this conversation. He didn't even have the knowledge to say, hey, this is a test because Satan went to speak to God. So, you know, I, I know if I passed, he didn't, he didn't really know that. He was just, though he slay me, yet I'll trust him. Job was saying, look, I'll trust God. And if everything goes wrong on this earth, and even if I die, even if these sores kill me, I'm still going to trust him and believe that through death, there'll be an answer, and that God is faithful. Incredible faith, incredible faith. But in chapter 42, God, Joe, God finally turns up and answers Job. And it's amazing how God answers. I won't go too much in depth, but he answers according to his providence, uh, his providence in creation. He just goes through and he says, all the big fish, Job, all the big whales, uh, can, you, can you care for them? All the animals that need food, do you provide for them? God's answer to Job is, I am the Lord of all, and I sustain all things. I control the great beasts and animals. 
I feed the great beasts and animals. I am the creator provider. God is speaking about his providence. Remember providence, providence, provide. God says, I am the provider. And, that, and he doesn't go into details. And Job just says, that's enough for me as long as I know you're in control. And he says in verse two, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. I have heard of you later on in verse five by the hearing of ears, but my eyes now see you. But then look, look what happens. He's annoyed at his friends for saying what was wrong while Job was saying what was right. And then he says in verse 10, and the Lord restored Job's losses where he prayed for his when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. The Lord, verse 12, and the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And then it goes on to speak about all his blessing. So there was a terrible trial, terrible things that Job went to, but at the end, he was twice more blessed than he was at the beginning. And we know that James tells us and uses Job as an example for us today. He says in James chapter 5 and verse 10, My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who'd endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. So he says, look, look at Job. And don't just look at the start and the beginning and the difficulty and the trial, but look at God's intention. It's not over until it's over. And so the book of Job is an incredible picture of God's providence. It doesn't get much worse than what Job went through. And right at the end of it, he came to great blessing. And, and I bet Job, while he was scratching those sores, he had no idea that many, many years later at Kensington Temple in London, somebody would be telling his testimony. I bet he had no idea that what was going on, when he was complaining bitterly to God without sinning, I bet he had no idea it was going to go down in Holy Scripture. And that for generations and generations, people going through difficult times, terrible trials, misunderstanding, not knowing what's going on, confusion, can go to Job and say, I feel like Job, but I know that just as God came through for Job, he'll come through for me. I don't know how. This is a great faith statement. And you say, am I going to go through the things that Job went through? I hope not. God promises us that we will never go through anything that we can't be victorious in in the end. Uh, I, I love Morisrello's preaching, and, I, and, I'll, I, and Morisrello says this. He says, there is no trial, there is no circumstance, there is no persecution that can come into your life to defeat you. Oh, I love it, I love it, I love it. I just, I've just got the picture of him doing it now and everybody going crazy. So he said, there is no circum... No, there is no trial. 
There is no circumstance, there is no persecution that can come into your life to defeat you. Why? Because God's providence. Because he's promised we'll never go through something we can't handle with him. Which means that he's Lord of everything that comes into our lives, isn't it? And we don't have to look at other people and fear and say, oh, look what that person went through. Oh, I don't think I could go through that. Well, you probably won't go through that. Why? Because God has got a purpose and a plan for each of us. And there's things that I can go through that you couldn't go through. And equally, there's things that you can go through that I can't go through. There's mountains that I can't remove that you can. There's valleys that I can fill that, that you can't. Because our lives are under the providence of God. He is not only providing for us, sustaining us, he is also guiding and governing our very lives. And that means that we don't have to fear. We don't have to fear. One of the greatest results of looking at the providence of God is that we don't fear. Because if you don't believe in the providence of God, if you don't believe that God is that actively involved in everything that takes place, if you think that God is really standing off a little bit, standing back like that watchmaker, and sometimes he'll dive in, but sometimes he won't, and that really it is a matter of chance on this earth, and, and that as some false teachers teach, that God doesn't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. How can he? Because human beings haven't made their decisions yet. No, we uphold that humans make real decisions. I mean, God holds people accountable, doesn't he, for every word they say. That is real accountability. But at the same time, God is totally and utterly involved and, and governing and guiding everything that takes place. You say, well, I can't bring those two things together. That's because you're a human being. Surely there can be some things that God is that we can't comprehend, surely. Or is not God. But, but this works. This makes sense when you see, see it play out. So God is intimately involved in everything that takes place. Matthew chapter 10, for example. We've been going through some of these verses before, but Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Starting with do not fear. Do not fear those who kill the body. Now, there are many things that we can fear, fear of heights, fear of this, fear of that, but all fear is ultimately linked to the fear of death. Why do you fear heights? Because I might fall off and hurt myself or die. So all fear is essentially the fear of death. And here he's saying, don't fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who's able to destroy the both soul and body in hell. And then we're going to come to something. He's saying, don't fear man. Don't fear the authority of man or the threatenings of man or the power of man. Don't fear human beings. No matter how much power they may seem to have, don't fear them. And then in verse 29, he explains why. He says, look, and are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? In other words, relatively worthless in the world's view. Worthless sparrows. Worthless sparrows. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. God cares even for the worthless, they're not worthless to him, sparrows. And not one of them falls to the ground 
without his knowledge and permission. Even the length of a tiny little bird's life is ordained to the second by, by God. I don't think I've mentioned this series, but I certainly mentioned in the series on creation in January that God illustrated this verse to me as I was um, driving back from Elim, I think it was Elim Bible Week at the time, uh, when it was up in uh, Prostatin. I'm driving down, and I'm driving in the motorway at 69 miles per hour. And as I'm driving down the motorway, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, I think I need a break. Maybe when I get to the next thing, I'll have a break, a coffee, a sandwich, and chill out. And then I get to it, and I think, no, I won't. I'll just head on. And so I'm making these decisions. Shall I stop? Shall I not stop? I'm going um, at this speed, and then maybe I'm slowing down. Then maybe I'm speeding up. I'm making all these tiny little decisions. You know what I mean? I'm just driving along a bit faster or a bit slower, or I'll let that person go ahead and slow down. Oh, I'll speed up and get out of that way. Shall I stop? Shall I not stop? Shall I have a break? Shall I have not break? All these little dis minute decisions taking place every second in my mind as I'm driving. And then I'm driving along, and don't know why, just for some reason I'm looking around, and, and I just look up to my left in the sky, and I see a bird in the sky. And I'm looking at that bird, and I look at it, one, two, and the bird just drops to the ground, dead in front of me. I'm thinking, that's strange. And so then as I'm driving, I, I reach to where I saw the bird dropped by the side of the motorway, and I look, and the bird's dead. Nothing killed it, it just dropped from the ground. And then suddenly, this scripture came to mind. And I thought, wow, the providence of God. One split second earlier, if I'd looked for a couple of seconds, I'd have seen a bird and looked on. One or two split seconds later, I'd have looked up, and the bird would have already fallen. If I'd stopped for a coffee, I'd never have seen it. If I'd not gone 69, but 68 miles per hour, or 71, a bit naughty, 71. Let's pretend I didn't say that. 71. Uh, I would have missed it. Can you see? You know, the chances, the chances of me seeing that and God speaking to me from it are, are absolutely incalculable. But these things are happening all the time, friends. I mean, think about where you are today and think about some of the incredible coincidences that have taken place in your life for you to be where you are. Some of them just minor chance encounters, a chat here or a chat there that can actually have major changes in your life. They weren't big sort of the say of the Lord moments, thank God for those, but they were just chance meetings, just a chance discussion. I remember, uh, I remember when, when I was thinking at the end of university what I'm going to do. I had no idea what I was going to do. And I went to a little Elam church in Harrogate, and I thought, I just don't know what I'm going to do. And I picked up, a, uh, I don't know if it's called Direction then, but Direction magazine flicked into the thing. I'm just flicking through, and then I see a tiny little box in the classified Kensington Temple Bible School preparing God's people for ministry. And here I am preaching today. Now, there's other things that have happened, but that little thing, what if I hadn't picked it up? I mean, if you start doing the what-if games, your, your mind will just frazzle, you know what I'm saying? But God, God is at work. God is as intimately at work behind the scenes as when he comes out and does a mighty miracle. 
This is what I mentioned last week. We Pentecostals, we love the divine breakthrough, the divine miracle when the fire falls, when the glory hits, when the person gets out of the wheelchair. We love that. I love that. New Testament loves that. But that doesn't mean that, oh, God has done something and then he's gone back to sit in his armchair. Oh, and then there's a breakthrough. God comes and does a breakthrough. Then he sits back in his God is as powerfully at, your, at work in your life right now as when you got your greatest miracle and your greatest breakthrough. Which means that miracles and breakthroughs are easy for God. They're easy for God. Because he's already working behind the scenes as a powerful. He's dropping birds down. He's setting that bird up. I mean, how much effort would it take a human being to set that up? To get the bird up and then to shoot it and then all to get my attention. I mean, it's incredible. God is at work. God is at work. Uh, Matthew chapter... 6 verse 25, the providence of God, Matthew chapter 6 verse 25, just say, he's just said in 24, don't serve mammon, and then he says, verse 25, Matthew 6, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, and what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. This is providence, the providing bit. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry? about clothing. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in his glory was not dressed like any one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much clothe you, O you of little faith? Little faith in what? Little faith in God's providence, provision, providing. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear, for all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first his king, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. You see, that doesn't mean that we just sit back and just say, clothes cometh. And wait for, whoo, you know, like Superman. No, Jesus isn't saying, all right, give up your job and God will bring meals on wheels to your house. He's not, he's not, come on, this is the providence of God, remember. The providence of God is never, oh, well, God knows what he's going to do. Everything happens according to his plan and purpose. Everything good and bad. What's the point? Just sit back and do nothing. In one of the greatest passages of the plans and purposes of God is Romans chapter 9, isn't it? You read Romans chapter 9. Most charismatics can't read Romans chapter 9 because they can't cope with it. But basically, Romans chapter 9 says God is totally and utterly in control. But then Romans chapter 10, which most charismatics do like, tells us, wait a second, how how will they get saved if they don't hear the gospel? And how will they hear the gospel unless... You preach the gospel, and how will you preach the gospel unless you're sent? So Romans chapter 10 is get up and get on with it. 
But it comes after Romans chapter 9. In other words, the providence of God is an invitation to activity, believing God and going for it, knowing that you've got someone who's watching over you. Someone who's taking care of you. It's like a child. You, you, you put a children in a playground with a, a nice wall and they will play and they'll enjoy themselves. Right? You take away that wall, they all huddle together near the door. Why? Because they're, they're not sure. It's, it's not a safe environment. The providence of God says that God has given us a safe environment to do everything he's told us to do without fear. We don't have to fear man. We don't have to fear what comes. God is in control. Nothing can come our way without his permission. And everything that comes our way in some way will bring glory to him and cause us to become stronger in our faith. And we will see the result of that in our lives. And if not, we'll see it when we go to be with the Lord. I mean, it's incredible how often the providence of God, you get to hang around to see the victory. I mean, Job said, if I don't see the victory, I still believe God. I'll get the victory in heaven. But he got a testimony, didn't he? So many times what we will go through, we will come out with a testimony. But even if that testimony doesn't come in this life, remember Hebrews 11, faith's hall of fame, they shut up lions, they brought children back from the dead, they conquered nations, they went through all these tests and trials with all these victories, but some of them got their victory in the next life. Some of them, it says, some of them died believing. In other words, some of them were going through something, and we've got all the victories that were mentioned, but some of them, they didn't get their victory in this life. Like people who, who have, uh, you, you look at the history of revivals, you look at the Hebrides revival, and people put down that Hebrides revival to people that prayed for revival in that area, the generation beforehand, they died without seeing what was promised to them, what they believed God for, what they held on to God. They died without seeing it, but they got their victory. I bet they were cheering in heaven. But thank God, God lets us get some victories here on the earth. So all this is, it is about, you've, you've got to go to work, get money for provision. Not even that's God's provision. Even your job is God's provision. Even if you don't like it and you want to get another one, praise the Lord, go to God. He's the provider and he can get you another job if you're walking in faith. But even the one you've got is still from God's hands. Every gift you have is from God. It's like I said last week, if, you, if you've got a singing gift, that's God's providence in your life. If you've got a speaking gift, an acting gift, if you've got cooking ability, it doesn't matter what it is. Whatever ability you have is the providence of God. If you're a rich millionaire businessman here today, I hope you got here for the offering, but if you're a rich <laughs> businessman here today, you think, well, I'm a businessman, I'm a self-made millionaire. Wrong. Every ability you had and the chance things that caused your business to work, God was behind. Because when you look at, when you read the biographies of these great businessmen and all these, many of these people, you think, how come they were successful? And I know there's principles of success, but often there was just something on it. They just succeeded where others didn't, even with all the principles. Why? Because God is providence. He raises people up, he brings them down. He raises up a nation, he brings a nation down. All the people are doing what the people are doing, making their decisions, accountable for their decisions, but all the while it's God behind the scenes. My last example of the providence of God is 
Peter in Luke chapter 22, verse 31, because this is a glimpse into the providence from God's side that we don't normally see. Luke chapter 22, sorry, did I say verse 31? Luke 22, 31, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you like as wheat. Whoa, I've just had a flashback to Job. Satan asking to sift somebody like wheat, to batter them. Hmm, New Testament too. Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but... I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. And Peter goes, oh, whoa, 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 hold on. When I have returned to you, I've not even left you yet. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you deny me three times, deny three times that you know me. Well, let's step back here. Peter's saying, well, wait a second. You don't know that. I'm telling you, I'm not going to deny you. I have got human will, free will, and um, you're telling me about when I return. I haven't even left you yet, and I'm not going to leave you. And then you've got out the nearest thing to a digital countdown. Didn't have digital countdowns. A digital countdown... And you're saying that before the cock crows in the morning, I'll have denied you not once, not one and a half, not twice, but three times before this cock crows. Well, the chances of that happening, in Peter's mind, are zero. I've just told you, I'm willing to die with you. How did Jesus know all this? Because he's God and because he was revealing his providence. He's provided, and in this instant, this doesn't normally happen this way, he is saying, look, and it wasn't just that something bad was going to happen to Peter. Look, Peter, I can see there's going to be a difficulty coming into your life, but don't worry. Peter was going to betray him three times, not once, not twice, not three, not four, not five, not six, three. And Jesus revealed what was going to happen to his life in minute detail by a certain time, and we know that although Peter said, no way, you can't go against my will, and my will is to die with you. We know exactly what happened. And to the moment of the third time he denied Christ, that cockerel crew. And Peter thought, Peter thought, oh, well, wait a second. That's not my fault. That's not my fault. Hey, what am I, why am I getting, why am I weeping? Wait, wait a second. What am I, I couldn't help that. It was like someone put a spell on me. I tell you what, when the word made flesh, son of the living God, Lord of glory, tells you that you're going to do something, well, you're going to have to do it, aren't you? How can I resist the son of God? It, it was like, it's almost like Jesus put a spell on me and made me do these things. I'm not weeping bitterly. I'm not saying sorry. In fact, I want an apology because God made me do it. Did he do that? No, he wept bitterly. Why? Because although it is true that Jesus, in revealing his providential purposes for Peter, had down to the moment ordained it, 
Peter knew that his turning from Jesus was real. It was real. It was his decision. He made it. He didn't blame anyone else. And when Jesus finally restored Peter, when Jesus came up to Peter, remember after he raised from the dead and and Jesus is making a fish breakfast and Peter jumps in and swims to him and, and Jesus restores him three times, doesn't he? Peter, do you love me? Jesus doesn't go and say, sorry about that, Peter. I'll keep my mouth shut next time because obviously when I speak a negative word, being the word made flesh, it comes to pass. He didn't, he said, there's some business that needs to be done in your heart, Peter. You see? I think that's a wonderful picture. But also the providence of God is in that because Jesus said, look, I'm going to let you know what's going to happen because good is going to come of it. It's going to be a terrible bad thing that happens. I mean, you're going to deny me three times. I mean, there's nothing worse than denying Christ. And three times to his face. But I want you to know that you're going to come back. I want you to know. And the reason that you're going to come back is because I'm praying for you. Do you know, this is exactly what Jesus is doing right at this moment. He spent three years in ministry and 2,000 years praying for us, interceding. Hebrews tells us that he lives evermore to intercede, to pray for us. Right now, Jesus is praying for you. He knows everything you've been through. And sometimes we need to look back and see the things that we've been through, through his eyes. Sometimes we can see amazing things where God has has come in and it's good to say, thank you, Lord, for what you've done. Sometimes terrible things have happened. Satan has done terrible things to us. Others have done terrible things to us. And sometimes we might still say, I still can't understand. God can turn those things to good. There can still be a testimony. Maybe you can help somebody who's going through what you went through many years ago. God can bring good out of it. Don't give up. Don't just take errors of your life and say, what happened was so awful, so evil. Nothing of any worth can come from those things. Don't say that. Don't say that. Something good could come out of it. Job, all that stuff, everybody said, nothing good can come out of this. It's too awful. It's too difficult. It's too bitter. Nothing good could come out of this. What about Jesus on the cross? the most wicked act of humans to to crucify the spotless lamb of God, the most wicked act, and look all the good that's came out of that. Be faithful, be strong. Know that God is in control of everything. On this story of providence I end, I've been told about my life, I was adopted as a child three months old. I was born to a 14-year-old unmarried mother in Queen Victoria Hospital, December the 25th, Christmas Day, 1968. So think about the providence of that right at the beginning. A young 14-year-old single mother giving birth to a child on Christmas Day. A couple of hours earlier, would have been Christmas Eve. A couple of hours later, it would be Boxing Day. It was Christmas Day. Terrible situation. Already providence of God there. Three months later... My mother and father, who adopted me, my father was uh, a lecturer at Durham University, and my mother was a student, and they'd got married, and they couldn't have children. So they went to the local Church of England adoption agency, and my father's heart was set on a daughter. So the adoption agent 
comes to them and says, well, we don't have any daughters uh, that are available right now, but there is a young boy, three months old, that's looking for a family. And so they said, well, we don't know. And my dad said, you know, really, we've got our hearts set on a daughter. So the agent gets out, gets up, gets out, walks out of the door. As, as the agent shuts the door, my dad looks at my mum, and my mum looks at my dad, and they said, we've made a terrible mistake. Dad gets up, opens the door. Call, no, sorry, we've made a mistake. Calls the agent back in. I'm adopted. That moment of we've made a mistake, these little things, these little things that have happened, set in course my whole life. To be brought up with those parents, I can see the providence of God in that. The places where we lived, the experiences that I've had, the friends that I've known, the churches that I've visited. All of these spring from a decision by a young couple in Durham, no, we'll have the boy after all. That's the providence of God. Providence of God. Now that's a good thing, but even in the bad things that we don't understand, the providence of God will bring us through like Job. Don't fear anymore. God is in control of your life and he cares for you. If he cares for those little sparrows, he cares for you. And if you're looking at your life at the moment and you're going through a difficult time, God's in control. Trust him. He'll bring you, he'll bring you out. He'll give you a testimony. I guarantee it. Or if you're in a place where, you've, where you think this is meaningless, you might be you know, in a job or in a situation. It's like, I get up, I go to work, I come home. I get up, I go to work, I come home. I don't even know what I'm meant to be doing in this place. My life is mundane. It's like a treadmill. It's, it, it's just nothing seems to be happening. There's no excitement. I'm just going through the motions. And, and if you're thinking like that, I'm telling you, God is at work. Sometimes it's the quietest times of your life that God is doing the greatest work. Sometimes it's like, when, is, I am, when am I going to come of age? When am I going to be released? When am I going to move into that dream or that vision that I've had? When, when, when is the excitement going to start and the boring, mundane, not another day, another week, another month, even another year, and the things that are burning in my heart, the, the, the prophecies that are over me or the desires or the things that God has made seem so far away and it's just drudgery day after day after day. Let me tell you something, it is not drudgery. Cooperate with God wherever you are. God is working in that drudgery, that routine, that boredom, that seeming senseless existence. God is at work in that as much as he will be at work in the day of your victory, the day of your unveiling. Those of us that have had any sort of breakthrough with God can look back and sometimes say, and I can say this, that it's often been the times where I've grinded out a week, grinded out a month, where it seems, where is God? Is there any breakthrough? Nothing. That's the time when greatness is born. There's some people, that, well, you can never abort the plans of God ultimately, but there's some people that say, it's not happened for me yet. It's not happening. I've had enough. I don't want to wait anymore. Like Joseph. His problem in the beginning was he wanted it and he wanted it now. I had the dream, you're going to bow down, so why don't you start right away? And it took him years of being ground down. And, and all that time he was being ground down. He thought, what am I doing in this prison? What am I doing here as a servant in a household? What am I doing being accused of rape? 
this isn't the dream, this isn't the dream. But I'm telling you, if he hadn't gone through those times, he wouldn't have been able to run Egypt. If he'd been put into Egypt as that young boy, how many of you know the whole thing would have gone down the pan and everybody would have starved? It was the discipline and the rigor of going through difficult scenarios and trusting God's providence that brought him to the place where at one time, having gone through it all, he could say, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And now I stand here today looking at most of my life seem to be meaningless, despair, uh, uh, defeat, but it was God all along working in me, working in these situations. He, he, the negative was necessary to come to the great positive. God is working on this church, Kensington Temple. He is working in its members. He is working in our circumstances. He is working in our lives. He is utilizing the good and the blessing of the Spirit, but he is also working behind the scenes. The devil thinks he's getting a victory, but God is only using the devil as a slave to strengthen and empower his people, to cause them to be purified and learn what it is to battle, learn what it is to trust the Almighty in all things, to become stronger and fitter in all things so that we're not weak and insipid. And the first time there's any sort of storm in our lives, we simply lay down, blame God and die. But he's raising up a generation that will be fearless in the providence of God, that, that will take both good and bad as the imposters that they are and just believe God, whatever comes, whatever storms and whatever victories. They won't, they won't be intimidated by these things. And when the glory comes, we won't touch the glory because we know what it's like to be abased. And when we were abased, we won't give up because we know that he that abases us will be the one that will lift us up. And God will forge himself in Europe again a people. God will forge himself in Europe again a people. Not like the last generation of weak-willed, backsliding, unbelieving people. But God is forging himself a people that will stand in adversity and bring breakthrough to this continent. In Jesus' name. Amen. Glory to God. Well, don't forget to get your book, God Meant It for Good. And tonight at the Holy Spirit Ministry Service, I'm going to be speaking on the topic of the power of a good report. Don't forget next week, bring friends, neighbors, everyone you can. It's going to be excellent. Five o'clock and seven o'clock next Sunday, Dr. R.T. Kendall. And he's been working on his message for next Sunday for the last two weeks. So uh, we're expectant. God bless you.